Father God, we thank you for your mercy that is new for us every morning. We thank you for your word. We ask that you open your word to us and open our hearts and our minds to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. In 1963, Bob Dylan famously sang, The line it is drawn, the curse it is cast, the slow one now will later be fast as the present now will later be past, The order is rapidly fading, and the first one now will later be last, for the times they are a-changing. He wrote the times they are a-changing to be an anthem for change during the Civil Rights Movement, a song that called for justice. Even though that was almost 60 years ago now, it's hard to believe, the song still resonates In fact, Rolling Stone in the early 2000s said that it was one of the greatest songs of all time. It still resonates, and it always will, because the cry for justice is something that every generation understands. That desire for change, the longing for all the wrongs to be made right, for injustice to be stopped. Every generation knows injustice and cries out for the times to change. And our time is no different. We live, interestingly, in a time when there is more wealth in the world than ever before. In fact, in September 2018, almost a year ago to the day, the Brookings Institute, which is a nonprofit research organization in D.C., published their findings that for the first time in recorded human history, the majority of humankind is no longer poor or vulnerable to falling into poverty. By their calculations, as of September of last year, just over 50% of the world's population, or some 3.8 billion people, lived in households with enough discretionary funds to be considered middle class or rich. So wealth is growing. Things should be good, right? Or at least getting better. Well, we also live in a time when the gap between the wealthy and the poor is growing wider and wider. And that's only a financial picture of the state of our world. We live in a time when, according to the Walk Free Foundation, there are more slaves on earth today than ever before in human history. Some 40 million, over 40 million people are slaves today. This includes people threatened or coerced into roles such as domestic workers on construction sites and farms, in clandestine factories, and of course, in the sex trade. In addition to slavery, there's racism, there's sexism, there's ageism, and on and on and on. Justice is not a simple issue. It's not a one-dimensional issue. It's multifaceted. And it's complex. We live in a world where more and more people have a voice or have an avenue for making their voice heard. This is largely thanks to the internet and social media. Our world has shrunk. And now we hear from people that a hundred years ago we would have barely known existed. But now we can turn on our computer or look at our phone, and we know what they're thinking right now. We know what they're going through right now. 
we are aware of injustice on a level that we have never been before. In general, much of the injustices in our world are summed up as forms of oppression. And the call for justice in our world is usually along the lines of raising up the oppressed and bringing down the oppressor. You can hear it in Dylan's lyrics. The slow one now will later be fast, as the present now will later be past. The order is rapidly fading, and the first one now will later be last. That's biblical. He's just quoting the Bible. You know, the first will be last, the last shall be first. Well done, Bob. It's, it's this idea of correcting the imbalance, leveling things out. And this desire for justice is a good desire. In fact, it's one of the promises to us in our faith that God will make things right one day. It's the reason that so many who suffered under slavery in our country's history became Christians. Because of what we hear in passages like Micah, that God desires justice and kindness. And what we hear from James today, that God is for the orphan and the widow. God is for the lowest of society, those without rights, who are even forgotten. Scripture tells us that God is on their side, and that one day all of these wrongs will be made right. As the prophet Joel wrote, The Lord will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. He says, you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you and my people shall never again be put to shame. God promises restoration of what was lost. Justice. This is amazingly good news for those who have no power. For those who have no resources, no ability to defend themselves or to change their situation. The abused child, the, the sex slave, the migrant, the unborn baby, and so many more. The promise of justice is desperately needed. The problem with our sense of justice, though, is that it's always partial. We usually want partial justice. I'm sure you've all seen a statue or some depiction of Lady Justice you've ever gone to a courthouse, you've seen her. She's often shown standing blindfolded and holding a scale in one hand, a balance, and holding a sword in the other. And the scale symbolizes keeping things in balance, right? A goal of fairness. And the sword symbolizes the penalty of the law against injustice, that there is punishment for injustice. And her blindfold shows that she has no partiality. The principle that justice should be applied without regard to wealth, power, uh, status, race, sex, all good things. Interestingly, though, when you start to actually get into real issues of injustice and you listen to our ideas of what would make it right when we've suffered injustice, the emphasis is usually on her sword. We don't just want the imbalance to be corrected. We really would like the scales to be tipped into our favor for a little while, right? We want the other side to be brought down. We want them to be punished. 
We want them to have a taste of their own medicine. We want them to have to suffer like we did. In other words, we want revenge. We want retribution. Just think of any Charles Bronson movie, right? You remember Death Wish from the 70s. It gives us a clear picture of what our sense of justice really is. We're taking the law into our own hands and we're going to punish somebody. But it's really only partial justice. Because it won't really solve the pain that we've suffered. It won't really make up for the loss that we've experienced. Our understanding of justice is never the full picture. Because we always focus in on the symptom. We look at the symptoms. Slavery, poverty, abuse, assault, rape, inequality, pollution, racism, prejudice, bigotry, we've established that all these things are indeed horrible, and they should be stopped. They are injustices, but they are only symptoms. They are only the surface of what is really going on. True injustice lies in our hearts, in our sin. Remember the story of Isaiah, when he goes into the temple to worship God, and all of a sudden he has this vision of being before the Lord, who is seated high on the throne in heaven, and his train, the train of his robe, is filling the whole temple. And the Lord sitting there is surrounded by the seraphim, who are praising him and saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the whole earth shook At the sound of the seraphim's voice, the whole temple shook, Isaiah says. And Isaiah sees all of this. He hears all of this. And he says, woe is me, for I am ruined. Because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah realizes in that moment where real injustice lies. He's in the presence of God himself. He's in the presence of true justice, of true righteousness, true goodness. And he says, I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips. For there to be true justice on earth, something must be done about our sin. When we who were graciously created by God, given life and given a world to live in and to enjoy and to take care of, when we rejected him as God, when we said we want to be gods for ourselves, thank you very much, this was the ultimate act of injustice, out of which all others flow. We rejected love in that moment. We rejected life. And we set ourselves against God and we set ourselves against each other. That was the moment when real oppression entered into the world. The oppression of our own souls by our unquenchable thirst for our own glory. That's what we want. We want the glory. Our own glory at the expense of everyone and everything else. Just watch the news. You'll see it. People going after something for themselves. They don't care who it affects or who it hurts. 
our own glory. It's an unquenchable thirst at the expense of everybody. This is true poverty of humanity. This is the poverty of our souls. For there to be any justice, that sin must be corrected. That wrong by us against God and against all of his creation must be righted. And when you go there, which no one ever wants to go there, when you go there, no one is innocent. No one. Remember the blindfold on Lady Justice? There is no impartiality. No one is immune from the long arm of the law. Now the picture of justice is even more complicated in our world because we're all victims and we are all victimizers. We have been born into this injustice before we do a single thing. We are both suffering under our sin and the sin of others, right? We're victims. We can't escape it. We have no power to stop it. And we are oppressed by it. And we are responsible for our sin. We are guilty. We are the ones who reject God and our neighbor. We are the ones who don't love the way that we should. We are the victimizers. None of us want that kind of justice. None of us want the sword coming down on us because none of us would survive it. It would be the flood in Genesis all over again, but this time without the ark. No rescue, no one spared. In the face of this truth, we cry out with Isaiah, I am ruined. Woe to me. I'm a person of unclean lips and live amongst a people of unclean lips. Where is there any hope for sinners before a just God? Well, it is at the cross. It is right there. The cross is where true justice occurred. This is where Jesus, the Son of God, paid the penalty for our sin. This is where every wrong is made right. This is where oppression ends for us forever. Where we are saved from ourselves right here at the cross. Without the cross, any attempt for justice in this world is going to be partial. It's going to be incomplete and ultimately unsatisfying. Charles Bronson had to keep on making Death Wish movies. There's like six of them because revenge never actually works, right? It never brings justice. It never brings peace. Jesus is the only one that brings justice. He is the only one that could because on the cross, he brought an end to sin. He put sin to death in his body. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, He was made to be sin who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. He became our sin. That original injustice that we committed and all of the subsequent injustices that we have caused and ever will cause, Jesus took all of it. He became it, Paul says, so that he could bring it to its end in his own death. He put it to death in his body. And in so doing, he fulfilled the demand of the law. The law has no one left to accuse. 
Because sin is dead in Jesus. He suffered the sword of Lady Justice for you and for me. And the mind-bending reality of this is the fact that this single true act of justice was also completely unjust at the same time. Jesus was innocent. He was the only person, he is the only person, to ever live on this earth who was truly innocent. He knew no sin. He was condemned under the law as cursed for you and me. He was hung on a tree, which the law says you are cursed if you're hung on a tree, and yet he was guiltless. This is where we see the completely radical nature of God's grace for us. Jesus' death on the cross the innocent Son of God, the creator of all things, the spotless Lamb, the one who actually gave the law to Moses in the first place, his death on the cross for the guilty breaks the whole legal system. He reveals the law and its legal system to be inadequate, to be defunct, really. The law can't continue to stand when it accuses and condemns its own Lord to death. The legal system breaks. The law can't, can't handle it. God operates outside of the law when he saves us through Jesus Christ. Paul says this awesome news in Romans 3. He says, Now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, outside of the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The law has always been pointing ahead. The law has always been coming and crushing us and condemning us, and it's been begging for some other way of salvation. The law has never been the way to be saved. It's always been pointing ahead, bearing witness to the need for a Savior, and Jesus is that Savior, and the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, outside of the law, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ who all for all who believe. This is the deeper magic that Aslan talks about in the Narnia series. God's grace runs deeper than the law ever could. Paul goes on to say that God is the one who justifies the ungodly in Romans 4. Or God is the one who justifies the unjust. He justifies the unjust. How can he do that? Our legal-obsessed brains begin to break. You can see the smoke start to come out of our ears as the gears grind down to a halt because our understanding of justice gets completely turned upside down. Jesus justifies the unjust. You and me. How can he do that? He does it through faith. The gift of faith. He gives us grace to believe in him. This is the good news for us. This is what Jesus tells us in Luke's gospel. This is his answer, Jesus' answer to Isaiah's cry and to our cry. He proclaims, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He looks at us and he sees the victims and the victimizers. 
He sees the unjust. He sees the lowest of the low, the oppressed, those without power, without resources, without the ability to defend themselves or to stop themselves and change their situation. That's us. And he has mercy. He has mercy on us. He sets us free from our captivity to sin. He forgives us. You are forgiven in Jesus Christ. And because we have received mercy, because we, the lowest and the most helpless, we orphans and widows, we have been given grace. We have we have been given God's love and mercy when we don't deserve it. Because of that, we can give it to others. We can stand for the low and the oppressed. And that may very well be the literally lowest of our society. Praise God if he calls you to minister to the financially poor or the sick or those without rights. At the same time, our definition of the poor of the orphan and the widow has changed, as we've seen. We may minister to someone's physical needs. We may help them find their voice. We may help them achieve more equality and defend their rights and help them to find uh, some kind of justice in this world, justice the way that the world understands, which are wonderful and important things, things we value as Christians. At the same time, in light of everything we've heard today, in light of Jesus' view of us as humans, we know everyone is ultimately suffering under the oppression of their sin. Everyone, everywhere. Especially those that are the absolute worst, you know? The ones we love to vilify right now, the greatest perpetrators of injustice, which there are many, the ones who seem to have all the power and are the source of so much pain in our world. They, too, are confined by their sin. That's why they're doing it. That's why they're oppressing people. They, too, are enslaved by their sin. They, too, need liberation. They, too, need the mercy of the Lord. Behind every cause, behind every conviction for justice, we know the ultimate need of this world, and that is to be set free from the power of sin. And we have that message. We, Christians, we, the church, we proclaim Jesus. As Paul said, we proclaim him and him crucified. That's what we're about. This is justice. This is mercy. This, the cross, is good news to the poor, liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, liberty for the oppressed. This is the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus has forgiven your sins. You're free in him. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace, this radical grace, Lord, where you have loved us, where you have justified us, the unjust. Thank you. We pray, Lord, that you would keep that firmly fixed in our hearts and our minds this week. We pray that you would use us to share that good news of liberation for this world that is dying under the oppression of sin. We pray, Jesus, you would use us to be messengers of your grace. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.